Okay, I'd like to do my intro of our guest speaker, and then we'll have the uh, scripture reading. But um, Pastor George Russ has uh, known us well, and uh, we've known him for a number of years. Mine goes back all the way to the uh, first time I was in New York when I met him at a conference, and he we talked about college ministry. So he was, uh, I think, the director of evangelism at the state uh, convention at that time. And uh, I've seen that heart. I've seen that uh, shepherd's heart uh, for us and, and many churches now. A goodly number of years, he's been the director of, uh, executive director of the Metro New York Baptist Association. And so um, as we have an office there and there's you know constant interactions, I've been appreciative of his overall leadership uh, in this area for churches and pastors. Uh, but especially personally, I've got a chance to spend time with him. Um, whenever we get the opportunity, uh, we try to go hiking in Long Island, uh, he lives out there, and so we've explored a lot of trails. I actually came up with a little book that someone had left, and, and, I, and I was able to give that to Pastor George, and so we have a lot more to explore, I think. So uh, after, uh, let's just uh, appreciate him now with uh, a welcome, and then uh, Alice can lead us in scripture reading. Today's scripture reading comes from Judges 16, 23 to 31. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. Good morning, everyone. It's real nice to be with you today. Thank you, Pastor, for the chance to be here on this Christmas, the Sunday before Christmas. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of a, a risk this morning in this sermon. Uh, after I'm done, you may say, we prefer the McCready puppets to this little pastor here. So just with that kind of uh, uh, intro, uh, this story is probably... Um, not as familiar to most of us as other parts of the Bible, but 
I, I'd like to tell this little narrative of uh, the story of Samson. You're going to say, how in the world does this relate to Christmas, All right? It's the first, it's the Sunday before Christmas. I'm going to leave the Christmas sermon to your pastor, uh, however, uh, which is probably next Sunday, right? I would imagine. Uh, but maybe at the end, there will be some connection uh, to Jesus that we don't maybe early recognize. So, Well, if you are familiar with the story of Israel, you know that her path to God was never straight. It was filled with long, winding roads. Uh, her path to God was never onward. It was always two steps forward and maybe three steps backward. Um, even though the people in the time of our scripture reading lived in the promised land, they were not having a very good time of things. Uh, they were suspended, it seems like, in between the law and the gospel, kind of in between the, the, those two pillars of the scripture, almost like the cables you know, that support you know, the horizontal bridge, tall on, one, uh, on each end, but sagging deeply in the middle. Uh, they seem to have forgotten all the things that Moses told them just before they went in the promised land. Remember the covenant. Don't be like the, the inhabitants. Uh, remember what I've done for you. Now, let's not be too harsh on Israel. Isn't your path to God like that? I know mine is. Starts and stops, detours, uh, wrong turns, traffic jams, you know, uh, rerouting uh, uh, your path. Uh, starts, stops. Let's not be too hard on, is on Israel as we think about where they are. Well, our story starts in the time of uh, the judges, in between Joshua and Saul, about 1100 BC. And uh, the people there, it says, in the last verse of the book, the summation of everything that you read in the book of Judges, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We're certainly going to see that's true of, of Samuel. Uh, very little light, uh, almost like a dark ages, but God does not leave his people there without a witness. He comes to them over and over, and in this particular case, he comes in the form of an angel. This is chapter 13. This is the longest story of the judges in the book of Judges. He comes as an angel to a couple that has no children. Sound familiar? The writer says that the, the, the woman is sterile and they are childless. And as so often is the case in the Bible, God says to this couple, even though you are childless, you're going to have a son. He won't be an ordinary child. He is going to be a man of great strength. And through this child, I am going to deliver my people from the hands or the, from the control of the Philistines. I'm going to put my spirit on him which is a phrase used of Samson more than any of the other judges in the book. Well, what happens next? The woman gives birth to a boy, just like the Lord said, and the parents name him Shemshon in Hebrew, which means sunny. We translate it Samson. The boy must have had a bright and beaming face, and his name was derived from the sun, so they named him 
little Sonny, or maybe better yet, big Sonny, because <laughs> there was no baby like him, right? He began to grow, head and shoulders above everyone else, and with strength and vigor and brawn and potency, the likes of which no one else had ever laid eyes on. However, in the meantime, along the coast, the Philistines are in control. They are living in the five cities of the Philistines, led by five different lords, and they are corrupting and polluting the country with their worship of Dagon. Israel is about to be swirled up into this uh, dark ages, and standing between the Philistine and the darkness on one side and the people of God on the other is this brute named Samson. And while the five lords of the Philistines laughed and made sport of the people of God with their debased worship and their thirst for power, a boy named Samson is bench-pressing boulders in his backyard, right? Well, Samson was a person of great strength and great appetite. What Samson wanted, Samson got. Who could argue with him? So one day he said to his parents, I have seen a Philistine maiden. I want her for my wife. His parents tried to protest. Sonny, she's from the dreaded enemy. Can't you marry someone from your own people? And Samson says, get me the Philistine maiden. So on their way down to kind of formalize the arrangement, a lion jumps on Samson's back, probably the most unluckiest lion that ever lived, right? We're told that he tore the lion limb from limb and laid the, the carcass of the lion on the ground. A few days later, after the carcass has had a chance to dry out in the blistering sun, Samson finds a swarm of bees making a, a honeycomb in the ribcage of the lion. And so with this sweet oozing honey, he reaches down and pulls out a great chunk of the honeycomb to take home. Uh, to take home. But Samson never told his parents. You see, he was a Nazarite. Now, I don't want to go into all of that, what that means, but basically this. The angel said to the parents, this baby will be special. He's going to be dedicated to God. All of his life, he's going to live under special vows. And three of those vows are this. He is not to touch a dead body. He is not to drink any alcohol. And he must have no razor ever come upon his head. He will live with these three vows for the rest of his life. Samson's already broken the first one. Well, they go to the wedding down in, down in, the, in the land of the Philistines at his father-in-law's house during the wedding, full of Philistines laughing and carousing. In the midst of this seven-day party, Samson decides to have some fun. He comes up with a riddle. He says to his 30 groomsmen, I have a riddle for you. I would like for you, for you to uh, uh, answer it. If you cannot, each of you must bring to me a linen garment, which means bring me an Armani suit. It's something you would work your whole life to get one of. And if you do answer, I will bring you 30 Armani suits. 
the Philistine bullies got together and said, you know, 30 heads is better than one. And they say to Samson, you're on. He tells them this riddle. Out of the eater, something sweet. Out of the strong, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. What's the answer? And they look at each other and they say, um, can you give us a couple of days to work on it? And they, they do. Day in and day out, for the first three days, for 72 hours, these men fought, cajoled, drank, cursed, argued over the meaning of the riddle. They were getting nowhere, and they finally seized on an opportunity. They took Samson's Philistine wife aside and said to her, this is your doing. You framed us to get rich. Find out from that hulk of a husband of yours what the, the meaning of this riddle is, if you know what's good for you. And she began to cry and say, I swear by Dagon, I don't know anything about it. And they said to him, well, you better find out if you know what's good for you. Find out from that stupid spouse of yours what this riddle means before all made paupers. Well, when they are alone, Samson's wife begins to cry. <laughs> Throws herself on Samson's brawny shoulders and says, Sonny, don't you love me? Don't you love me, Sonny? You gave those men a riddle, but you didn't give me the answer. Well, of course. I didn't even tell my parents. But Sonny, everybody's laughing at me. I'm, in, I'm embarrassed. I don't know what the riddle means. You can tell me after all. There's no secrets between husbands and wives. I'm your wife. And she cried for seven days. And finally afterwards, at the end of that seven-day feast, the corrosive power of his wife's tears finally got through. Okay, I'll tell you. I killed a lion once, and some bees came out and got in the middle of the carcass and made a, a honeycomb, and I took some honey out of the lion. That's what that riddle is all about. And she said, oh, thank you, Sonny. We don't have any secrets anymore. She turned, off, turned around and snuck off and told the Philistines the answer to the riddle. When the feast ended, Samson got those 30 men together and said, okay, man, time's up. I know you don't know the answer. Just make sure you leave my 30 Armani suits folded gently on the table. And they said, not so fast, not so fast. The, lion, the eater is a lion and the sweetness is a honeycomb. Samson went into a rage. He flew out of the house, went down to one of the five cities of the Philistines, to Ashkelon. He actually caught 300 foxes, got 150 torches, and tied those torches up with two of the tails of those foxes, and then let those foxes loose into the fields of the Philistines. Soon, <laughs> the entire countryside was ablaze. Not only was the corn destroyed, but the olives and the vineyard groves were also done. And the men didn't like that. They went back and they burned his father-in-law and his wife alive. Samson had never come back, but 
after asking where they were, and he found out, he had brought an offering to that father-in-law. And you can imagine when he asked where his wife was, he's <laughs> that little man looking at that hulk of a man in the doorway, blocking out the sunlight with a dead goat as a peace offering. He said, ah, we didn't think you were coming back. We gave your wife to your best man. They're married. And that's when Samson did what he did with the foxes. You might guess that the Philistines took exception to this, of course. Uh, they just destroyed, uh, he just destroyed their winter harvest and desecrated uh, the god Dagon. So when, after burning them both to death, Samson goes out and hacks in retribution many Philistine to death. Can you see where this is going? This story's in the Bible, by the way. I just want to remind you, this really is in the Bible, right? <laughs> the Philistines come up with a plan. They ask their border police, the Judahites, to uh, step in and say, you know how much stronger we are than you. How would you like to live? We want to arrest uh, Samson. You, you must bring him to us bound. If you don't, we're going to destroy all of you. They thought about it for about five seconds and decided to try they mobilized a small, tiny expeditionary force of about 3,000 men. And when they found Samson, they, they looked around and said, listen, we've got to bring you in because if, you, if we don't, they're going to destroy all of us. And Samson said, well, but we're, we're on the same team. We worship the same God. Uh, don't you realize, they, they said back to him, that they rule us. They control us. We work for them. They're going to wipe us off the earth if we don't bring you back. We are supposed to tie you up and bring you in. We don't want any trouble. We don't want to rock the boat. So Samson decided to have some fun and said, promise that you won't kill me. They say yes, and they bring him to the Philistines, bound in uh, ropes. When the Philistines saw that, they say, we got him. But Samson says, not so fast. He snaps those uh, ropes as if they were smoking pieces of flax, the Bible says, reaches down and takes the jawbone of a freshly killed donkey. And with that jawbone, it says he killed 1,000 Philistines before the sun went down. Can you see how this is escalating? It's getting worse and worse. The numbers are going higher and higher. Samson amused himself and said, I made donkeys out of them with the jawbone of a donkey. And he went back to his cave. Now, here's where the story gets interesting. This is chapter 16 now. Samson, as I've said, is a man of enormous uncontrolled appetites. And so it wasn't long before he cast his eye upon a certain woman in, 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 in Gaza. And he went and he slept with her. During the night, the Philistines learned that he was there. And we're going to wait for him to leave in the morning. But in the middle of the night, he gets up and slips through the darkened streets, gets to the city gate, and he's about to leave. And he looks back at the gate and says, this would make a good souvenir in my cave back home. And he tears the gate, the doorpost, and the crossbeam out from the ground, lifts it over his head, and drags that 38 miles to another city on top of a hill. And then in the morning, yells out to the Philistines, hey, Here's your gate. <laughs> this really is in the Bible, by the way. I just want to remind you that. The lords of the Philistines didn't know what else to do. Nobody could touch this man. 
Nobody could do anything to him, but Samson could do something to himself. Later on, he falls in love again. Head over heels in love with this famous woman, Delilah of the Valley of Sorek, Delilah of the Philistines. Delilah becomes like an international spy, kind of like a Jacqueline Bond, Agent 007. Samson says, that's the woman for me. The lords of the Philistines said, yes, that's the woman for us too. And they say to Delilah, we will each pay you 1,100 pieces of silver, 5,500 pieces of silver, roughly in equivalent to today's uh, money, about $15 million. If you will find out the secret of this man's strength, what makes, it so, makes him so strong that we cannot seize him? Delilah says, that'll be easy. So then one night, Samson is with Delilah. He has his head on her lap, and she's stroking his hair. And she says, Samson, you're the strongest man I've ever known. What makes you so strong, honey? Man, if Samson had any brains, he would have said, I I I've heard this before, <laughs> right? He said, that's my secret. But, I but yes, you can tell me. And Samson says to her, if you bring me and tie me up with seven tiny bowstrings, I can't get loose. Delilah tells the Philistines that. They burst in one time, and Samson comes, comes, uh, comes awake, breaks the bowstrings, and routs the Philistines. She tries again. He says, it's seven freshly made ropes. They don't work. He try, she tries again. Weave my hair into a pin, and they try it again. It doesn't work. Day after day, this doesn't work until finally he tells her the secret of his strength. He tells her, I'm a Nazarite. I'm supposed to live by three vows. I've already broken two. Might as well break the third. Nothing's ever happened to me. No one has ever had my hair cut, or I have never had my hair cut. And Samson, one night with his head on Delilah's lap, has the Philistines come in while he's asleep with a barber, cuts his hair off. Samson has no strength. The Philistines pounce on him like that lion did, only this time he can't do anything. They gouge out his eyes. They bound him in bronze, and they lead him to the prison house where the beginning of our scripture reading uh, uh, is. He, is. he is told to grind out corn like a donkey, hmm, <laughs> or an ox. Well, nobody noticed Samson's hair is beginning to grow back. The day came on the last day of Dagon's feast when they bring out Samson as the centerpiece of entertainment. He's the main attraction. The people, men and women, the five lords of the, of the Philistines gather in the temple of, of Dagon, a colonnaded building. The roof is supported by wooden pillars. It is about as big as the Beacon Theater, 3,000 people. And Samson is brought out prodded and poked and goaded and ridiculed and turned this way and turned that way, stumbling and staggering on stage with his blind eyes, led by a small boy. The crowd jeers at him. And they place him between these two pillars, 
and the child lifts his massive arms to reach and touch each one of those to grab them. And finally, we see Samson pray these words, Oh, God. Oh, God, one more time. Oh, sovereign Lord, let my strength come back. And the people continue to laugh at this. And leaning on those pillars with both hands, he begins to push. And there's a sound, and people are hushed. And all of a sudden, one more time, let me die with the Philistines. The whole building crashes in on themselves, and 3,000 people die. Now, what can we make of this story? I told the whole story because sometimes I think we read such little sections that we don't get the flow of what the Bible is trying to teach us. Let me just offer three um, observations. First is this one. God often discomforts his people for his purposes. Did you hear what I said? God often discomforts his people for his purposes. At the very beginning of his life, we're told the spirit of the Lord will be upon this man. It was said more of Samson than, than any other judge. You see, here's the, here's the situation. Israel is under uh, the rule of the Philistines. They're comfortable in this case. They are becoming like them. Back and forth, they say to Samson on many times, I'm just doing what you did to me. No, I'm just doing what you did to me, right? The Israelites are about to lose their distinctiveness, their culture, what the New Testament might call their saltiness. They're about to lose their mission, their strength. They are in danger of forfeiting not only divine revelation, but their own mission. They've become like the Philistines. And if they are left alone, they will disappear from the earth. They will be eliminated, not by extermination, but by assimilation. And so their mission will fail, and God raises up a deliverer. He has discomforted his people. If we read the Bible carefully, God does this a lot. Later on in biblical history, there's a prophet named Habakkuk. And he's looking around at the Babylonians, those bloodthirsty Babylonians pressing down on Israel and Judah from the north. And Habakkuk cries out to God, God, what's happening? The Babylonians are coming. What's going on? And God says, you want me to tell you what's going on? I'm bringing the Babylonians, in a sense. I'm bringing those bloodthirsty people upon, upon you. The Chaldeans are coming. What are you doing, God? I'm bringing the Chaldeans. See, God's God's reputation, his mission is of utmost importance, of, of utmost importance, and he often disrupts us to bring us back to consider what that's all about. The second observation I would make is this. God always uses flawed people or broken people. Look at Samson. He's his own worst enemy. He makes jokes about killing people. He's very demanding of his parents. He's jumping in and out of bed with different people. He breaks every single vow he has ever made to God. And yet, God uses him. In spite of his stupidity, his immorality, his vindictiveness, 
God uses Samson in some weird way to save his people, to preserve his witness. He uses flawed people who barely know which end is up. He actually used the jawbone of an ass, which is probably a description of me, too. Stupid, dense. But when you finally admit that, who you are, God can work through you. That's the secret of our strength. The last observation I would make is this. It's never too late if you're like Samson to cry out to God. You may have broken every single vow you ever made to God, and you can still cry out to him. You can never be in the wrong place to cry out to God. You can be in the temple of Dagon and cry out to him. You can be bound up and weakened, shaven, shorn, blinded, staggering through, uh, through your life. Strength can return to you when you call out to him. Now here's the conclusion. Try to bring it to Christmas. Samson's people rejected him. They preferred the rule of the Philistines to the freedom of God. They turned him over to their oppressors. They tied him up. They tried to avoid his salvation but their actions actually brought it about. Does that sound familiar to Christmas? Jesus, born miraculously. From the beginning, read the, read the Gospel of Luke, the Spirit of God is upon him. He has supernatural abilities and strength over demons, over disease, over death. Yet, his people say, we don't want you to rule over us. We're kind of happy where we are. We don't want to rock the boat. They turn him over. They tie him up and they turn him over. He is handed over by his friends to his enemies, chained, tortured, mocked, put on display for public humiliation, and through the rejection of the deliverer, he actually saves us, a nation of fools a nation of people in denial. That's the secret of our strength. It's through the rejection of the one who came to save us that we actually experience that salvation. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, this is a strange and weird story. There's so many ways that we could go with the details of Samson's life. Thank you, that you often upset our apple cart if we are in danger of losing our witness, our uniqueness, our distinctiveness, our mission, and become comfortable with our surroundings and our own strength. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we can cry out to you no matter where we are no matter what we've done. And you, who were handed over by your own friends, will come to us and save us. That's our secret. Not in our physical strength, not in our spiritual understanding, but just in our crying out to you, we can experience your, your grace, your restoration, 
your forgiveness and your love this season. Thank you for that special child who was born. Born to, child, to childless parents. Overshadowed by the Spirit. Whose true supernatural strength changes us into your people. We thank you for him, for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.